I looked at everything I could think of, magical and medical. Nada. You're grounded. All right, well, since I ain't traveling, I should probably step down. Uh, if you're offering your resignation, I don't accept. Not offering. Love Stating. that. So tough. With Dean Fogg out <sighs> indefinitely, Breakbill has instituted our Dean banishment protocol. Of course, that's a thing here. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> that makes me acting Dean Lipson. There's no instruction manual, so kind of needing on the fly here. But one thing I do know is losing a professor who is disabled on school grounds ain't happening. I mean, the optics would be pure shit flakes. Pure so your contract flakes. will be honored and enforced. So whales really are powerful magicians. I knew they did weird stuff on the ocean floor. I just didn't realize that was... Wait, yes, Alice, tell me what else you know about whales. Um, their closest cousin is the hippo. Mm -hmm. Mating season is in the fall. Yeah, that is so sad for them. What if they never get to make love again? Charlton. Though I am one to talk. I mean, it's been over a thousand years. It's not exactly what I needed. Well, you asked me what I knew. <laughs> is there any info with the Kraken that might point us in a direction? Oh, okay. Well, you have your Lovecraftian god Krakens, uh, and then there's the D&D &D Kraken, which is sort of six of one. And then, of course, there's Clash of the Titans, both the original Thank and you. the remake, with the very famous line. Thank you, Josh. Sorry, Josh. Every time the Kraken awakens, time jumps back 12 hours. Which would be great if it took us back to before the moon broke. Well, if we get the time loop spell to trigger a couple hours early. Why don't we just kill all the damn whales? Well, it's clearly what you tried to do when they took away your permanence. Duh. She's right. Maybe we need to let out the thing that scares us. Maybe we need to, uh, to... Release the Kraken! Exactly. Thank you, Josh. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Physical Kids Weekly. I'm Clara. And I'm Danny. And today we have a very special double episode. We're talking about episode 505, Apocalypse Now, and episode 506, Oops, I Did It Again. We're joined in this endeavor by two lovely, magical human beings, Keegan Connor Tracy, a.k.a. Professor Lipson, and Hilary Benefiel, who wrote 506. Welcome, Keegan and Hilary. Hello. Thanks for having me. Hi. <laughs> and before I forget, episode 505 was written by Mike Moore, who unfortunately wasn't able to join us tonight. I suspect an Oscar party. Um, I also Gosh. looked up... The directors, since Danny gave her MVP to the director last time, episode 505 was directed by Shannon Coley, who I think directed Be the Penny in season four. And um, yeah, yeah, good. And episode 506 was directed by John Scott, who also directed The Mountain of Ghosts earlier in this season. Yes, and, who's and a lot of other great episodes of the show. Yeah. <laughs> and also, uh, 506 is the episode, or 505 that Shannon directed is the episode that I shadowed um, her as a director. So, uh, you know, I have a whole other insight into that. And that's you, Keegan, right? That's me, Keegan, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it was great. Before we get too into the episodes themselves, we have a couple of questions for the two of you. Keegan, we'll start with you. Here's a listener question for you. Sam wants to know about your experience working on Once Upon a Time and asks what it's like to work with some of the same cast on The Magicians. There's Sean McGuire, David Anders, there's definitely more. Uh, what was it like working on Once Upon a Time? You know, it was one of those shows that, um, you, you know, you start in the beginning and you have no idea where it's going to go. And it became this giant thing and 
it's been very good to me and I, I've been able to travel the world because of it. And so I'm really grateful for that experience. And it was cool to play this kind of iconic, less iconic than Belle, which of course I played in the descendants, but like it's still an, an iconic Disney character. And I, it would have been lovely to work with the people from once upon a time. I mostly just passed them in the hallways. Um, David in his Visigoths outfit, which is, <laughs> oh my gosh, I can still see. <laughs> it was amazing. I feel like we should mention, because you mentioned it last time, Danny, that um, David Andrews tweeted uh, that the English accent was back in all its mediocre glory. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it, because he did that on uh, on Heroes. It was hilarious. <laughs> and he did it on Alias, too. He was Sark. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, he's got a lot of that British accent going. He's yeah. very good. Oh, David's full of many, many talents. <laughs> well, and... So Professor Lipson, who you play on The Magicians, is a bit of a Jane of all trades. She's the school's main healer, head of the infirmary, and we've seen her in the classroom more than once. And now with Fog gone in this episode, she's also the acting dean. She's also <laughs> been through a lot. Like, I feel like it's, I was trying to like look through her arc and there's just, there's so many bits and just strange things that she's been a part of in various ways. So I kind of wanted to just ask you, who is she to you and how do you think she's evolved over the seasons? Yeah, that's an interesting question because as a recurring, you have a different sense of your character because you never know where it's going and you're not, how do I say this? Like, you know, you don't have your own thing that you are. And to some Mm. degree, she's an enigma even to me. Like I never really know where they're going with her. And, uh, I mean, she's always fun to play. There's always something sort of snarky or sassy or, you know, about her that I love playing. Mm. And I mean, it was, we certainly know things like, you know, she may have some substance abuse issues and certainly the attempted suicide is, (laughs) you know, that was kind of a giant thing. You, you know, and then you find out when I, when she says, uh, you know, before I used to be a trauma surgeon, that was last season. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're like all of these things you find out about Professor Lipson that I'm like, wow, that was interesting. And, and I also have this theory, this is entirely my own, that the reason why she was so bereft about losing magic and why she wanted to jump off that building is that she's actually from a different era and she's been using magic all this time to try to like keep herself together. <laughs> <laughs> That's a cool That's why theory. she has that aesthetic, you know. I yeah. like that. That's what I made up for her. Oh, I love that. I like it. That's good. I don't know. Is that Hillary approved? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, my God. Yeah, I'm the new kid. So as far as I'm concerned, yeah. I think Head that's canon accepted as far as I'm yes. concerned. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like she kind of answered the question of what's your favorite part about playing her. But if you have more to add to that, you can. I just like how she can be so, I mean, she's smart and she's funny and she's sardonic and she just has, is this a swear? Do you have an E writing? Yes, you we do. Beat me? Yeah. She just has like zero fucks to give, you know, and I kind of love that about her. Mm-hmm. I love it. So turning to you, Hillary, you joined the Magician's Writer's Room just this past season. Talk to us about the challenges of writing for a show that's already been going on for a while. How is it different from a show you've been on since the start? You know, every sh- every show that you start on has its own challenges. Um, the funny thing about this one is it was, it was kind of such a perfect fit. Um, I walked in and, you know, I was kind of anxious 
about the whole thing because it's like it's the magicians like the show's been on this is the fifth season it's a show with such a strong sense of self and such a strong voice and so it's a little bit intimidating and like uh, with people I really admire like writers I really admire and so uh I knew the show before I came on it I had actually uh everybody could tell me to watch it and I finally sat down and marathoned the whole thing like in a week and was like this is awesome um and then like a week later my Agents called me and were like, hey, so have you heard of The Magician? <laughs> so, I love um, that. Yeah, and so I, it was kind of one of those shows that I was like, I'm never going to get to do something like that. Um, so it was a little bit intimidating until I walked into the room. And even though the crew, who you've pretty much met everybody, is like really tight-knit and they've all been working together for years now, they were so welcoming. Um, it was, it was I, I, I didn't feel uh, like an outsider. They made, I'm actually not the only new writer. There's another writer who joined this season named Stephanie. Mm -hmm. And so we both kind of, that was nice because we both kind of got to be new together. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, they welcomed us with open arms from day one. Um, So I love hearing that. If I can add to that, I I would love to just vouch for the same thing that the vibe from this show across the board, like, look, I've been doing this for more than 20 years. I've been on a lot of sets and a lot of shows where mm. I was recurring or I was a regular or whichever. There's just something about this group of people that's really extraordinary. Um, and I am so grateful to have been a part of it. They, they just support each other in a way that I have never seen before. And I, I just am, you know, I'm such a fan of the people making this show from top to bottom. We have nothing but amazing things to say about everyone involved. I mean, really, it's, I, I mean, I think, first of all, it's just very generous that so many people have come on our little <laughs> scrappy-ass <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, especially since, like, we started it by just tweeting at people and being like, please come on our show. <laughs> I, think, I do think it's amazing that, that you guys have, do this, because, like, I, was, I grew up as a fangirl, too, and, like, the idea of being able to uh, actually turn this podcast into something where you get to really talk to people, um, is, and like preview episodes and stuff. I'm like, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've worked on, I mean, I've worked on some nerdy properties before, but, yes. but they've never had the relationship that magicians has with, uh, the people who watch the show. So it's really cool. Love it. It does feel very unique and also, like, I mean, I think it's kind of a sci-fi thing. Like sci-fi has the whole, it's a fan thing. Sure. Yeah. Uh, tagline or whatever. But yeah, um, speaking of your previous credits, so they include things like Beyond, which I hadn't heard of before I was looking it up for you, but now I'm really interested in, and Person of Interest, which I've seen all the way through. Um, (laughs) Both of which are shows with, um, I guess Supernatural is not quite right for Person of Interest, but I feel like very weird elements... Uh, Danny like put a comment in when I was when when she saw the script that was like, "Isn't that a crime drama show?" And it's like only in the loosest sense. Um, (laughs) So I guess I was just kind of curious. Like, do you find yourself drawn to genre shows, or um, like how did you get into it, and how did working on shows like that prepare you for this one? Oh my god! Yeah, no, I like I consider myself a genre writer. Um, sci-fi fantasy is all I ever wanted to do. I mean, I started, I started writing, doing, writing fan fiction. (laughs) So, you know, um, I, once I realized that TV was something that I wanted to try to get into, it's like, you know, my influences are like 
Buffy and Star Trek The Next Generation and stuff like that. So, like, that's all I ever mm-hmm. wanted to do. And I've been lucky to do that. Um, so, yeah. Uh, are you watching Picard? Uh, no. I, okay, I don't have all access. Uh-huh. Yeah, do I? <laughs> I know. But I really, I don't really even know what that it. is, so... <laughs> Uh, CBS All Access. It's where they've been putting all of their new Star Trek things, I think, because they oh, know Picard, that they can get Trekkie money. I, yes, I didn't Picard. hear it right. No, I heard the card, and I was like, wow, I don't even know what that is. Okay, I'm down. I'm back. <laughs> uh, it's real good. Highly recommend it. I, the, I've heard. The first and only fan fiction story I ever wrote, like way back in the day, was a... Borg origin story. Um, Amazing. And it like dealt with Romulans as well. And there's like a Romulan Borg thing going on that I won't spoil for you in yeah. Picard that makes me really excited. Oh, awesome. I, I wrote nothing but god awful Harry Potter and Twilight fan fiction. So <laughs> I really hope no one finds it ever. Uh, I said the same. I did. Uh, my main thing was um, the book series Animorphs. Uh, <laughs> yes. I was uh, I, I cut my teeth writing fan, Anne Wars fan fiction. So. Oh, <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, so the other thing I wanted to ask you about, sort of in kind of similar to the question that we were asking Keegan. So Chris Fisher directed one of the episodes that you wrote for Person of Interest. He directed my very first episode of television I ever wrote. How oh, cool. awesome! Was that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, how awesome was that? Please tell us. I mean, well, for me, it was absolutely terrifying because it was my first episode of television. Um, <laughs> and on that show, they flew you out to New York, which uh, was my first time in New York. And it was incredible. And I was so scared. Fish, he was also, so he's the producing director on this show. And he was also the producing yeah. director on Person of Interest. Um, so that was, it was really helpful to have the guy who's sort of like the leader uh, on set uh, be directing the episode. Um, and when I was up for this show, uh, he, and he found out, he called me and was just like, oh my God, you're coming to the magicians. So it was really cool to be able to, you know, it's like, I, I know they say that you come around and work with people again and again, and I'm still new enough that, that I don't have that experience that much, but that was really cool. Aww. You know, it points again, this is me piping up. Fish has been so instrumental for me in my, you know, advancing toward my goal of directing. And it's like no secret that I would love to direct a magician. I'm putting it out there. (laughs) But, you know, he really supports the people around him. And um, again, Sarah and John. So they're just people like I'm starting to get it. All of a sudden I'm like, oh, this is how it happens when people get to know each other and they just, you know, let, put a hand out and help people up. And I just think it's a marvelous piece of this show. Yeah. And they do, they're, they're so committed to doing that in the show, which is really cool to watch. I mean, between being in the writer's room, a lot of the people got their start as assistants on the show, which is like a really, you know, it's a thing that people do in television. That's how I started, but uh, they're really committed to bringing people up and um, make, giving them an opportunity and um, Shannon, who directed 505, started, I, she started in the camera department, right? She was um, the A-cam operator, yep. Yeah, and and she's, I, I only got to meet her briefly, but she's so great and so good at what she does. And I love sure. that. Yeah. I think we've observed that, like what you said about the writer's room. Like, I think Mike and Elle were both assistants. Were Alex and Jay assistants too? Joey yeah. was. Mm-hmm. And Alex, the other Alex, Alex Ritter. Yep. 
Yeah, so that's like six people who came up from being assistants into uh, writing episodes. Yeah, so great. Yeah. Yeah, it's great because they're, they're all super talented, really smart, and their knowledge of the show runs so deep. Um, <laughs> that it's, you know, for me, it's really helpful because I'm good at deep mythology, but this show's mythology is so wide ranging that you still. Oh, yeah, we help. know. <laughs> <laughs> and it can get confusing. Like, even for me, I've read all the scripts, I've seen all the shows, and there are times that I'm like, who's Charlton again? Or, you know. Right. <laughs> When you've seen the episodes as many times as we have to make this podcast, yes. I don't think you could ever forget anything. We watch every episode three times. The only oh exception goodness. is, I think, 504 because we got it. And like the only we got it on the Monday before it aired. And that was the only day that we could record and have it out anywhere near on time. So we watched it. And then an hour later recorded the podcast. Wow. At least so it was you watch in your mind. Multiple times before you do before you record yeah. podcasts. Yeah. Yep. Once to, like, have fun, once to take notes, and once for fashion. <laughs> and for earlier seasons when we were recording, like, later, we, we've we seen those episodes so many times. Like, Oh, my God. I've seen this first season and second season, like, I don't know how many times altogether. I can't even count. That's <laughs> great. So, Danny, I think you had one more question for Keegan, right? Yes. So we noticed when we were researching for this episode that you're also a children's book author. How did, you get, <laughs> how did you get into writing for kids? You know, I, I, that book, that was a, it's strange how sometimes I've written several, not all of whom which have been published, but you know, that hopefully will come in the future. They just, I was sitting thinking one day about all the lives I've led as an actress, all of these things that I've had the chance to like live in the skin of. And um, the book you're talking about is Mommy Has 26 Careers, right? Uh, it's called This Is a Job for Mommy. Oh, okay. Wait, there yeah. was one I saw called Mommy Has 26 Careers. <laughs> it's, you know, that was the original title with the original publisher. Oh. And then I moved to a different okay. publisher and we, and I changed the title. So you just have not got the right site, I guess. <laughs> um, but it's actually like, it's out there. It's on Amazon. You can buy it. Um, it's called Mommy's uh, this is a job for mommy. Oh, now you screwed me up. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, that's okay. Uh, and that's how it happened. And it was just this book that I had written and it was sort of sitting there among other ones that I've written and that I've been doing some, I have one that I'm hoping is going to have a life soon. Um, and, uh, I was actually pitching a cookbook that I wanted to write. And when I cool. did, I happened to mention this kid's book and they were like, Oh, tell us more about that. And ultimately that was the book that got published. It's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's you know, I've always wanted to have that little, what is it, the ISBN number with my name and be like an official <laughs> published author. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's one little box I got to tick and I, I really love that. And I think it's important to diversify, particularly in the arts. You, can, you can't just do one thing, especially now in this climate of this world that we live in. And so it's just another like finger in the pie for me, I guess. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think it's really great to have a lot of, I don't know, just a lot of different things that interest you. And then to be able to turn those into different careers is also really cool. For sure. Yeah. And I also really wanted to support the notion that, you know, when you talked, like Betty White was talking one day about how when she was coming up, she wanted to be a a forest ranger, I think is what she said. And she she said, but women were not allowed to do that then. And so, and I, I, you know, I thought about that and I think about the things that now I would never tell my daughters that there's anything they cannot be and it would be mm-hmm. by and large true you know and and that yeah. was the spirit of this book well so we should probably deep dive into the episodes now um and we'll st- 
start with a quick double episode summary. And I'm sorry, Danny, that I am making you do one of them because I know it's like... <laughs> it's a lot. This is normally my territory and it's a lot. So, all right. In Apocalypse Now, or sorry, Apocalypse <laughs> Now, Penny tries and fails to resign from his position at Breakbills, and a lunatic, a moon worshiper, tells our heroes that to move to the moon that to move the moon, they need to stay up for five days straight. So to move the moon, they have to move to the moon mentally. Um, Josh feeds Julia, I'm making my mistakes work. Josh feeds Julia, Alice, Elliot, Penny, and Margot meth muffins to keep them going. And Elliot starts hearing what he thinks is the monster trying to get out from inside his brain. As all this is happening, Katie and Zelda look for a way to undo the reeds marks that the library placed on the hedges. Meanwhile, Fenn goes on a Florian mission to find the fairies. I didn't actually mean to have alliteration there, but there it is. And Alice and Julia seek help from Mayakovsky's daughter, Natasha, so they can steal a moon rock they need for their spell. But just when it looks like they're about to pull it off, Marina shows up to try to stop them. And instead of moving the moon, they end up breaking it, which sends moon bits hurtling towards Earth. And that's where the episode ends. Danny, do you want to take 506 so I can catch my breath? I can, but I also want to know if it's not meth, it has to be Adderall, right? Um, <laughs> I, I kind of thought it might be Adderall, yeah. <laughs> Look, it's it's not meth. That's all you need to know. Is it meth. <laughs> <laughs> it's love. It's love. Oh, okay. They're love muffins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, in oops. Love muffins. <laughs> In Oops, Maybe they're I did it again, <laughs> which I was kind of hoping would be the musical episode because obviously <laughs> I want to hear them sing Britney Spears. Yes. Um, <laughs> everyone is frantically trying to stop the new apocalypse they created by destroying the moon. Katie suggests using Richard's temporal magic spell to buy them some more time. Though at first it looks like it didn't take, Elliot and Margot soon wake up 12 hours before the moon disaster and realize that they're in a time loop. As they make their way through each loop, getting more and more frustrated, Elliot's monster problems get worse and worse until Margot gets herself ejected from the loop and he's forced to save the world on his own. Josh convinces him to let the monster out, at which point he realizes that it, realizes that it isn't the monster at all. It's Charlton, his companion from the happy place. Charlton sets him back on the right path and they pay a visit to the whales who tell them that the time loop started when the moon debris destroyed the Destroyed the sigils that they are maintaining to keep the Kraken at bay. Elliot convinces them to let the Kraken out. <laughs> a to release earth. the Kraken! <laughs> oh, I just, okay. <laughs> <laughs> let the Kraken out a little bit earlier so they can go back before the moon broke apart. This time he elicits Margot's help to incapacitate Marina. Without her, they succeed in getting the moon to move, and voila, the earth is saved. But just when they think they're out of the woods, Todd shows up and tells them that they saved the wrong world. It's Fillory that's about to be destroyed. So, uh, Clara, what did you think of these episodes? I really enjoyed them. Um, Apocalypse Now is hilarious. I stopped, like, five minutes in to email Mike. I, I, I think I just emailed him, like, the poop emoji and two snowflake emojis because that <laughs> line Keegan has, pure shit flakes. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. And, like, Lipson gets a lot of great lines and a lot of creative curses. It's true, what she does. Through, yeah, so, like, what goes through your mind when you, when you, like, get a script and you know you're going to have to say something like that? Like, how do you figure out how to deliver it so it sounds natural? Because I'm just assuming you don't curse like that in real life. I am a terrible cursor, actually. Uh, <laughs> but do you say shit flakes? I, I, I'm going to now. It's a good <laughs> one. I'm stealing it. Um, 
you know, I have thought about it a lot of times because you just want to make sure that you're still, you know, there's this, this weird ground between having a naturalistic style and especially with the style of this show where there's a lot of these very kind of sharp edged Mm. lances being thrown, I guess. Right. And, um, you know, you just hope that you're still imbuing it with the gravitas it needs or, you know, (laughs) but I, I mostly just try to throw them away. It's that's very Lipson, I think. Well, and, I should talk about 5062, um, but before I do, I just want to say, like, Danny, you know I love me a good heist episode, and that's basically what 505 is, so I think that's why I end up loving it so much. And then we get to 506, and the time loop conceit is such a beautiful way to, like, really slowly pull us away from the hijinks of 505 and especially 504 and into something more serious again. I think it's really important for Elliot to address this part of his experiences in season four because he basically has PTSD and he's been shoving it down and ignoring it because he doesn't want to deal. But he needs to. And I really loved that it's it's Josh who helps him to open up because like that scene with the two of them, it really gets to the heart of it, both that Josh is a very empathetic and grounded person, but also that they aren't close. And part of what Elliot's dealing with is this fear that he's going to hurt the people closest to him when he finally lets it out. So I thought it was a really brilliant move to have Josh be the one who helps him open up. Mm-hmm. What about you, Danny? What did you think of these two episodes? I mean, episode five was absolutely hilarious. And so was episode six. And The Magicians is always amazing at balancing these absolutely hilarious and heartbreaking episodes at the same time. Mm. And I loved them a lot. Like five had a lot of great moments that I'm sure we'll get into, but I think that all the episodes that really center on Elliot and Margot, like together or separate are always fantastic. I love their dynamic too. And I really missed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think time loop episodes are pretty great. And this one was written really well by Hillary. And I feel yeah. like, <laughs> and I feel like, Elliot will that now. That was Keegan, a- not, not Hillary, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Hillary being all like, yeah, I got this. <laughs> Too many lady voices on the podcast, which is just enough. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And I feel like oh, Elliot will now have a greater appreciation for Josh and maybe understand where Margot's feelings for him are coming from. And the fact that Elliot acknowledges at the end of the episode that he has, like, a lot of growing up to do after having seen that Margot's grown yeah. up so much. There's also, like, a lot of really small, tender moments between all of the other characters in Six that were so good. And I loved so much seeing them. Um, and, of course, Todd was in this episode. So I was very happy about that. <laughs> um, well, and uh, I guess let's start with Five a little bit because Keegan, you were saying that you shadow directed on this one, right? I did. Well, I shadowed the director. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so tell us about that experience. It was amazing for me. Like I have, our, I have directed my film, and I've been, you know, hanging out behind the monitors and watching directors and shadowing days here and there and shadowing DPs, and you know, I've been like doing my homework for a while, but I had not gotten an opportunity to do a full scale episodic prep session, and in mm. terms of you know, a, a television education. That was exactly, exactly what I needed. And I, I loved it. I just lapped it up. Um, I, I just really enjoyed being able to be there for all the pieces, except I was dying to go to casting. It was one of the things I was most excited about. And of course, 
it was the day I had to shoot was the day they went to casting. So I didn't get oh, no. to see anything. I know it was, it was such a bummer for me, but, um, w- what a great experience and a great way to get to know this crew further and, and really like cement friendships and, um, you know, cause you're driving around all day, going out to these far flung locations to look at this crazy house that you see in that, um, which was a crazy house for real. And uh, I just, I just really enjoyed every piece of it. And it really gave me a comprehension for the level of, it's funny. I keep telling the story after that, that, you know, as actors, we show up on set and we're like, yes, hello, we're here now. You can all begin, you know, meanwhile, for two <laughs> weeks, everybody's been in the background, like working furiously to get everything ready when we walk onto a set and it's all done like that these people have been working for such a long time to make that happen and it gave me a better understanding of that and a better appreciation for this sort of you know we are the tip of the iceberg the tip that everybody sees but there's this huge piece of the iceberg under the water that's just been Mm. toiling away in the background and and it was really wonderful to be part of that that's awesome hillary i had a question for you too which is these these episodes seem so closely related and obviously like they're being aired together, it really feels like a two-parter. Were you thinking of it that way when you went into it? Or is it just sort of a coincidence or an artifact that they happened to, to gel? Um, I mean, it wasn't really conceived like the way you traditionally think of two-parters. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was in the sense of like, the season is a 13-parter, you know, every episode leads straight into the other one, not necessarily chronologically, but uh, story-wise. Um, mm-hmm. and so it, they're definitely sister episodes. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I don't think the original play, I don't think it was planned. Like these are going to air on the same night and stuff like that. It just kind of like worked to do it that way. But we did actually have to, uh, so the moon room, um, that mm-hmm. we filmed those, we filmed 506 and five, or 505 and 506 on the same night. Like Shannon finished yeah, she like she finished up her stuff, and then John and I leapt onto the set and did our and all the crew for our episode and did our thing, yeah. which was crazy just to watch from the outside, by the way, because it's not normally how things are done. No. And so, and to to see, you know, you have a very limited day when you're directing, and to see Shannon be going, 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 and then be like, okay, now I got to step aside and let John, and then here's John being like, mm. hey, sorry, I got to step in, and just to watch the the sort of seamless flow between these episodes. And that was a very interesting case study. Yeah. Like a changing of the guards. Yeah. Yeah. It's always really educational to watch um, how directors work because the way that they, I mean, I, it's not something that I am necessarily interested in doing because the idea of it is extremely overwhelming to me. So I have a lot of respect Mm -hmm. for Keegan for uh, working so hard to, to do that. Um, But watching the way they plan how this is all going to go and particularly in that on that night, it was like John knew that we we're going to have a limited amount of time. It was probably going to be late at night. Everyone's already tired. Mm-hmm. Um, so to sort of watch him figure out how we're going to do this and to get the crew and the actors and everybody going again, um, it's, it's always really educational. Mm. And thank you for that, Hillary, by the way. I didn't <laughs> want to interrupt you. <laughs> so um, when you have a time loop episode, it seems like the pacing is really important. And we see that that scene with the moon asteroids, yeah. yeah, in 506, the moon asteroids hitting the Earth a lot with less time passing between them each cycle of the loop. But just when you think things have contracted all the way, suddenly the whole thing reverses and the last two loops expand again. What can you tell us about that? I think momentum is something that's really important um, when you, at least when you write a TV episode, I've never 
written a movie. Um, and some of it is kind of an instinctive thing. Um, you get a feel for like how, just how an episode should play out, how long scenes should be and acts and stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think coming in, um, writing, uh, I mean, we kept, we kept calling it a Groundhog Day episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Because that's like obviously, uh, OG, um, the godmother, um, you sort of, wa- you sort of set- study those stories when they're well done and see like what, what makes them successful. Mm. Um, and one of the major things that we saw that sort of made that successful was the signposts like the, you know, in Groundhog Day, it's the, him waking up to, uh, the radio, the morning radio show and Ed Ryerson and all of that. Mm. Um, and then, you know, the Russian doll ones, the, uh, birthday baby and all of that. Um, and so we knew that that was one of the things that was going to help us kind of, uh, establish the loop thing and keep the audience sort of grounded and be able to like skip when you've already seen the same thing over and over again. Like we can skip that because, you know, this is the part where they did all this. Um, I don't really know if that answered your question, but (laughs) (laughs) no, I think that's great. And I, one of the things that I noticed this, especially the second and third watch around was that, um, Elliot changes from time to time, right? Like not just as the loops progress, but like in that opening signpost scene, when he is on the floor with Margot, um, from the beginning to the end, he gets so much more disheveled. So you're like seeing the way that he is growing outside of the time loop, like the way that he is like distinct from time, the way time is flowing for everybody else. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And I think we wanted it to be mostly emotional. Um, cause the, you know, the logic in our heads is that physically you always go back to where you were in the beginning of the day. Uh, but I, I thought Hale did such a wonderful job of like, remember sort of maintaining where Elliot, cause you know, we didn't film it in order, so, like, knowing at what state Elliot is in um, and where he is in the continuous loop process, making that emotional arc really sing. Yeah, I think you did a pretty yeah. good job. <laughs> he's good that way. Hey, he's, he's all right. He's all right, that guy. <laughs> um, so, Keegan, your character's only in, in one scene, really, in episode 505, but it sets up a surprising amount that Penny can't leave break bills and can't travel, something that they end up putting to the test in 506 with disastrous results, very <laughs> bloody results, um, that he's going to be the new Welters coach, which, interesting, looking forward to that maybe coming back down the line, and <laughs> that Lipson is the acting dean, kind of like we talked about before. And It's about time. Yeah, it is about time, honestly. Like, it's a lot of responsibility, but it also shows that Fogg really trusts her. So I I was kind of interested to hear you talk about, like, being, like, Lipson being Dean and also about the relationship between Lipson and Fogg. Yeah, I thought it says a lot. And I think as you, over the course of the rest of this of the this season, I think you see some pieces that show, again, how long their relationship has been. And, um I also think she's an ambitious woman and she probably was quite happy to be there. You know, I, I don't know which yeah. take they took, but there was like some kicking back with your feet up on the desk kind of sense of the, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, <laughs> I wanted them. I asked props to make me one of those signs that said Dean Lipson, but I don't think they were able to do it in time. <laughs> oh. I just would have liked to have had that. <laughs> she just has, she just has Dean Lipson in her desk, like ready to go. <laughs> yeah. I'm just waiting, yeah. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I like it. 
Did so, I answer the question? I don't even actually know. Well, I think you, you definitely answered how you feel about her being Dean. I, I was just curious if you had anything else to say about her relationship with Fog. I don't think we know a lot about it. Uh, and what I do know that I could speak to hasn't come yet. So I, I, I'll have to uh, oh. I'll have to plead the fifth, I guess, on that. Hmm, interesting. Looking forward to that. Good to know. <laughs> so I feel like someone teased this on Twitter at some point, but one of the interesting things about these two episodes is that they reveal that there are really multiple apocalypses in this season. Like there's the harmonic convergence, which now seems like it was a bit of a red herring, the moon breaking apart. And now at the end of 506, whatever it is Todd is talking about that's going on in Fillory, which he somehow forgot actually existed. Um, Hillary, how do you take the concept like that and turn it into something that makes sense? Oh dear. Well, I hope it does. Uh, No, Um, you know, it's, I think that one of the things that we really wanted to do coming into the season is sort of figuring out how everybody's going to move on. Like, um, Mm -hmm. even though they experienced this terrible loss that was world shattering, the the world is still there. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know Julia comes in really wanting to find a purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, And... What I think is really interesting is, I mean, the harmonic convergence was a real threat. Like, that was a real thing that could have been a problem. Um, But, you know, I think it's arguable as to whether, I mean, I guess it's not arguable at all, because whether they made it better or worse by trying to fix it, um, Hmm. they obviously made it much worse. Um, And so when you start, we, we have this implication that uh, apocalyptic situations crop up often in this world. It's just that thankfully yeah. there's some scrappy young group of magicians that are willing to stop it. Um, and so Julia keeps looking for those and finding them. And, uh, you know, how much of this is her creating problems um, versus being, being destined to solve them, you know? Hmm. Well, on that profound thing, I'm going to take us on a slight turn and ask Danny, how'd you feel about the Todd moment? Okay. Episode six is full of like so many Todd moments and it makes me really happy. He's all up in the background while they're at the physical kids cottage and even makes out with Margot, maybe a little more. Dances <laughs> Definitely with- <laughs> more. <laughs> Dances with Elliot. Like when she slinks back into the room when she, sh- when he shows up at the penthouse is so funny. And I was also sort of surprised that Todd didn't have some sort of like weird idea for them to try during the time loop because he's always coming up with weird suggestions or just stating random knowledge in the past. That's true. I totally forgot. Like all through season four and maybe even in season three. Like season two onwards, he always has some weird, crazy idea for them. Um (laughs) Well, I can I will say that we had we didn't get to see everything that happened, so it's entirely possible that Todd had a lot of crazy ideas, some of which sure. Elliot might have even tried, um, but <laughs> sure. it didn't uh. work, so we didn't see that. <laughs> yes. All right, I accept that. I accept that as canon. <laughs> also, though, like Todd doesn't remember Fen apparently because he doesn't remember Fillory. He should know that Fillory is real. It's very rude. <laughs> <laughs> Look, a lot of things happen, um, and it's hard to remember all the things. So, <laughs> and it's Todd. 
But, it is hard to remember all the things. Yeah. <laughs> I know. He doesn't have the same memory that we do. Um, that's true. Does. And he did yeah. a lot of drugs. Yes. yes. He, did he has a done a lot of drugs. And but, he only gets to see the episodes once. True. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also real, really still like feeling my Todd theory, which is like that he's actually a descendant of Quentin and Elliot's son. I found it awfully coincidental that the next person that Sir Effingham went to mm-hmm. is freaking Todd. Which, yes, it could just be a Todd. funny thing, but they played this music at the end of the episode that really reminds me of Quentin, like the ominous fillery music. I don't think it's ever played for any of the other characters, but I could be wrong there. Hmm. This is where I can't, hmm. you can't see my face and I'm not, uh, this is my not saying anything smile. Oh, we get that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when we give crackpot theories. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, well, how do you feel about the fact that the harmonic convergence plotline is kind of over now, Danny? Because I knew you had, like, a theory in there about the, like, had something to do with Legends of Korra. Yeah, I mean, like, not all theories can work out, but... As I know well. <laughs> how many theories did I have last season? <laughs> a lot. A lot. Um, I'm pretty sure they drove you insane. Um <laughs> I, I don't know how I feel about it yet. Like, I mean, is it really, like, over? Because maybe there's one in Fillory. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think I think there's going to be more pleading the fifth on the other end of the phone line. <laughs> <laughs> you guys know. <laughs> you know, I do have to say, though, because I, I had listened to a couple episodes uh, before I did this because the way that I handle um, new situations is research. Um, but I, you mentioned Legend of Korra and I thought that was really funny because when I met, um, Henry and, and Sarah and John, um, they mentioned the concept of the season and the, like the cocaine eighties overpowered magic thing. And I was like, oh, it's like, it's like Legend of Korra and the episode or the season where there's a harmonic convergence and everybody becomes vendors. And so, uh, I just loved that you guys referenced that made me happy. It's all Danny. I actually haven't seen it yet, and yeah. I recently got something about it wrong on a trivia quiz and felt very embarrassed. Sorry, Danny. I've never even heard of it, so that should make you feel better. <laughs> oh, no, it doesn't. No, no, no. Danny doesn't hold you to that standard. She holds me to it. <laughs> I'm just surprised because, you know, with all of the representation, especially the queer representation in the kids thing, I'm surprised you haven't seen it, Clara. I'll get there. I'll get there. There's a lot of good TV out. <laughs> That's true. It's true. That is true. <laughs> so, Clara, do you want to talk uh-huh. about Fen or Katie? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, I honestly, I kind of hated that in, I think it's in 505, that Elliot is still treating Fen like she's dumb. Because, like, she's been to Earth now. Todd showed her the ropes. She's not this, like, naive ingenue. And we've seen that in past episodes. And it... It did feel like their relationship had changed um, before then, but I, I just didn't like the whole, like, made on the outside trying to trick her thing. Mm-hmm. That said, I do like that she's getting her own quest, and personally I think she's going to kill it because she's, she's got so much empathy, and I think that's going to be really important in any interactions with the fairies. I also think she learned a lot from her last set of interactions with the fairies, which is useful. Yes. Um, I definitely think she's going to have a big arc coming up, um, especially with the fairies, as mentioned. Um, I always wish that her character was included a little bit more. I'm sure that has something more to do with Britney's schedule than anything. But 
Yeah, wasn't she like making a documentary? Yeah, I think so. Same time, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, I'm really excited to see more there. Like, and I also find it interesting because, like, like you said, like Elliot kind of treats her like she's dumb, and like it's funny because like Margot definitely doesn't anymore. Like Margot knows that she's, you know, really smart and just like likable. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a really interesting point, especially with the conversation that Elliot and Margot have at the end of episode six, because mm-hmm. uh, where he sort of talks about how much Margot has changed and grown and, you know, how he needs to get on her level or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think there's a way in which, like, her, the crown for him, I think, was always just sort of this a burden but he also like in the way that he didn't really want it right mm-hmm. he didn't care about being high king he didn't see it really like his responsibility he I don't think he ever really fully saw fillery as his responsibility so much as like keeping things together there for his friends from earth yeah but for margo it it was a much like the crown was much heavier and it really has changed her in a lot of ways, both in like making her ovary up a bit, as she would say, and also in like forcing her out of her comfort zone. So she can't always just be like on the attack. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As far as Katie goes, I'm really enjoying her story, but I don't think she's getting enough screen time this season. Um, I love the conversation that she and Zelda have because she looks so vulnerable and real. And I love that for Jade because I know like I know that's so much what she's about as a person. Mm-hmm. It also seems, though, like the Hedwitch, Hedgewitch story, it seems kind of done. And I'm hoping I'm wrong about that because it's never explicitly stated. But the, the comment about getting the book to Harriet plus the fact that she gets the hedges to help with the temporal magic spell, even though it doesn't work makes me think that, like, they did solve the Reed's Mark problem just sort of in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like Katie as Queen of the Hedges, so, uh, yeah, I'm still, I'm still, like, rooting for her to step into that power a little bit more later in the season. Hedge bitch in charge. Sorry I'm being so quiet about you guys doing... I just, like, don't want to tell you anything. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble. Um, but, I, but I will say that uh, uh, Katie's got a lot more to do um, this season. Good, um, so, good, good. So, so don't worry. <laughs> so, you know what I liked that we haven't talked about, Danny? What's that? Marina's back! <laughs> Did you love it? I mean, of course I do. Like, Casey is such a gift. And she's <laughs> And um, I love seeing her again, but, I mean, obviously, like, I still want to meet her girlfriend, and, like, that's priority number one for me when it comes <laughs> to Marina. But it was really awesome to see her, and, like, I liked her. Her kind of, like, interaction with seeing Katie again. Katie, like, tries to, like, send that spell tor- towards her. It's really interesting. I, I kind of think if they do continue, like, the Hedgewitch story, like, I feel like it would be Katie, like, taking down Marina as, like, the hedge bitch in charge. That's a really interesting idea. Ah. <laughs> All right. I like where you're going there. Um, I also, I have a thought. I, I, I kind of think that we've already met Marina's girlfriend and we just didn't know it. Um, and I have a thought about who it is. I'm, I'm going to save that for fashion, though, because that's where it makes the most sense, weirdly. Um, <laughs> I'm curious. Of, you're going to learn, and then you're going to, like, be tight-lipped, and it's going to be infuriating. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so speaking of fashion, we should probably wrap up the episode part of this, which feels crazy because I don't even think we've made it through half the plot points. But <laughs> double episodes are hard. 
Um, any last point or dozen points you want to mention before we move to fashion? And Keegan and Hillary, feel free to chime in too. Well, there's actually a f- quite a few things that I'm interested in here that we didn't mention yet. Um, like for one, episode five, who had to give up their shade to Natasha? Like, did they Good take someone else's? point. Yeah. That is never answered so far. So I thought that too. Yeah, I wondered about oh, that. But also, did you notice like all of the tender moments in episode six with yes. all the characters? Like Julia and Alice yes. bonding is like still giving me life. It's amazing. And, and I mean, they were wearing the best bitches necklace even in episode five, which I loved. And then there's that wick off moment where they like mm-hmm. press pinkies or pinky cross together kiss their fingers and they hug and like they just like they look at each other in a certain way like i still ship them very hard i love it i I literally and i think you should i think you should because as you and i have talked about like it just does not seem possible that um that julia and penny are gonna last the season to me and (laughs) i think that brings back the possibility of a real wick off Yes, and like I said to you before, in Legend of Korra, I feel like it would mirror the ending of Legend of Korra, and I would be very happy. All right, I'll fucking watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. No, that, um, that moment came out of uh, Sarah when writing that first bit where, you know, you're trying to figure out all the mechanics of, like, how to tell that story because you have to be mm. careful about the mechanics when you're telling a, a story like that. Um, her reading the script and being like, hey, so this is, as far as they're concerned, this might be like their last day on earth. So how would they realistically react yeah. to that? Mm-hmm. Uh, like what, what sorts of things would they say to each other if they genuinely thought that the world was going to explode? Um, so that's kind of where that little moment came from. And then uh, the, the, the little kiss thing that they did was, um, was uh, Stella and Jade um, doing that. So it's really cute. They love to to support us Wick Off fans. Um, (laughs) And then there's also other moments like Margot and Josh like frantically kiss before she kisses Elliot. And like Elliot holds Alice's hand. And I think it's really sweet. Like they've come so far and bonded so much after having lost Q. And honestly, like I get really teary eyed when I think about it. And I also think that Josh might be a crackpot theorist like we are. (laughs) <laughs> or just a crackpot I can pot. see that <laughs> both <laughs> um, Keegan, Hillary anything else you want to add about these two episodes and like plot wise before or any other things from your sort of experience of being in them shadowing the director writing them well I mean I guess the only thing I'd say is um, the concept of this episode was something that they had written up on a card, like the first day I walked into the room, at least like the, the it said Groundhog Day episode. Um, <laughs> and it was, I, I did not expect that I would be the one to get to write that one. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, it was uh, incredible to get the chance to do that because I feel like that when you work on genre shows, there are always those, those episodes that are sort of like the, you know, the musical episode, the, uh, the body switch episode, like all of those episodes are like, they show up on genre shows. Um, and so it, it's really a testament to sort of the egalitarian thinking of our bosses that they're like, yeah, we trust all of you to do, you know, these, we don't reserve them for ourselves. <laughs> mm. 
Well, and I will say we we heard some very nice things about this episode from your bosses before we uh, before we had you on. So yeah, just for the record, <laughs> sweet. <laughs> Keegan, any last points before we move to fashion? Um, I don't think so. Okay, fashion it is then. I'm, um, I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm just like, no, no, get to the get to the fashion stuff. <laughs> this is this is actually because I mean, partly because it's two episodes, but also just because like, there. I mean, in a time loop, there's so many things. <laughs> um, there, yeah, there's a lot of fashion in our fashion conversation. So for starters, I think we have to talk about Margot's pantsuit in the party heist scene because, oh my god, oh Isn't my god, awesome? am I? Oh, my God. I've just recently been like, I need to get myself a pantsuit. Finally, I know I'm like two years behind the times. But I want that one now. That exact one. <laughs> but will you have you'll the need incredible a, you'll need hair? need a Magali yeah. then. Yeah. Oh, no. I do not have... I, I mean, yeah. I have a very butch haircut. It, there's no way I could pull off... I, I, Summer has the most amazing hair on the planet. <laughs> well, just remember, all the girls on TV, that's not always just their hair. So at least feel slightly better about that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Summer, forgive me, I just gave away your hair secret. <laughs> Although her real hair is awesome too. Okay, now I'm just <laughs> descending. <laughs> uh, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh my god, her hair is so good. <laughs> <laughs> it is great, but it's true. <sighs> I mean, it wasn't just Marco though who like looked really good in that scene. Like literally, no. they all looked so fucking hot in that part of the episode. Especially for having been awake for five days. Yeah, I was like, this must be some sort of magic that they use to look that good. But <laughs> I was like I was having a moment thinking about that, thinking these people. I have a, I have two little kids. I've gone through having babies. I was like, I know what it feels like to be that tired, and you do not look like that. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like when you've been awake for as long as they've been awake, they had to dress nice in order to get themselves over the finish line. It's like when you're really sick and they say that if you've been sick for a few days, you should put on pants um, because it'll make you feel like you're healthy. It's like that. You know what I actually (laughs) forgot until this moment is that Alice doesn't even actually seem like tired for most of the episode. And I thought that was really funny. Like everyone else does. And she seems like she's, she's running like, on her genius brain. It's like she had. It's like she's already stayed up that like long before. And oh, just totally. to study, just for fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. It's also partly in the process itself. Like nobody would really want to watch everybody just being like, oh, you know. So I remember watching Shannon work through that as it was going along, and and I think I I remember Fish talking about it, just how you know you don't want everybody to be just dragging their ass necessarily. Yeah. I really did love that scene though, where, um, Penny, or not Penny, where Josh sprays Julia in the face. face. (laughs) And she's like, one more time, one more time. (laughs) It was such a funny episode. There's so many moments in it that like, you could just like sit and talk for like another hour, just pointing out how fucking hilarious it was. Mm-hmm. Also, like the the cards between it, where they're like listing the time, very much felt like Law and Order to me. <laughs> like, boom, boom, ninety six hours or whatever. <laughs> um, so I've also been noticing, fashion wise, more and more what Olivia pointed out out to us in our five hundred three episode that Alice is dressing so much like she did in seasons one and two when she and Quentin were first falling in love. And I know Olivia pointed out the braid in her hair, but I had also I'd already. St- 
started to notice, and now it like really feels like a thing to me that her hair is the cut is super straight, like even more so than in previous seasons, mm-hmm. um, except for like one and maybe two. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no layers, there's no frizz or anything like that. It's just that really, really straight look, um, and it just in general her look is more innocent than it was in three and four. I think you're right. Like it really seems to be more like that. Um... I think it's cool because like it, it seems kind of like almost like a fresh start for her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I know you had mentioned Katie's outfit in Five Hundred Five in your notes. Do you want to talk about that? And maybe like hit us with your Marina outfit thoughts while you're at it. I mean, like of course, I just was like, oh my god, Katie looks so hot right here. I love her like little like leather vest that she's uh-huh. wearing. I don't know. I just liked it a lot. And then Marina just. She looked so, like, it wasn't even actually, like, kind of all that much like she usually dresses. Um, it was a little bit more toned down. Ex- I mean, obviously, except for her, her hair. Her was toned down? Yeah, she wasn't showing as much skin as she usually does. All right, all right. Well, I guess it is a, a different Marina than the one that we saw other than last season. That's true. Okay, so here's where I'm going to tell you a little bit about my, my theory uh, and this is really a stretch, like very much in the crackpot theory territory. Um, but l- uh, last last time when I mentioned that Clarion had this like split moon necklace, mm-hmm. um, and I noticed that Marina has this, uh, I mean, not even half moon necklace, but you know, it's like a sliver moon um, uh, necklace or like thing on her choker as well. And there's sort of two things I felt like that could mean. I mean, they could be lunatics, because obviously the lunatics were, like, all over the moon shit. Mm-hmm. But I also kind of wondered if there's a connection between them. So I, And uh, I kind of think maybe, just maybe, uh, Clarion is Marina's girlfriend. Might be wishful Who? thinking, but Clarion. I... Oh, I thought you said Keegan. I was like, oh. (laughs) Yes, you, the actress, are Marina's girlfriend. (laughs) That would be super meta. (laughs) (laughs) There have been some meta moments in the season, but not that not that meta yet. No, Clarion the goddess. I also just kind of feel like Marina deserves a goddess because she is one. (laughs) She is, and she's definitely got the like same fucked up morality that they do. When we first met. Mayakovsky's daughter, Natasha. I mean, I wondered about that one too. Is she Marina's girlfriend? Because she's like just as hot as she is. And and maybe (laughs) maybe it was like a kind of like a red herring that she was like helping out their side. I wondered that. I really did wonder that too. So I think that is definitely a legitimate option. Um, Yeah. Anyway, I think we've met, either way, I think we've met Marina's girlfriend already. And if we haven't, cool. We'll get to meet her eventually, right? Yes. Right. Fashion-wise, <laughs> right. Also, fashion-wise, before we move on to our questions, mm-hmm. I love the part where um, Elliot and Margot are like dressed yes. in like in like togas the and toga have all party. that like makeup oh on. Mm-hmm. That was one of my favorite looks. Hale's makeup looks, looks incredible. Amazing. Oh my god, it was so good. I really liked that. I also really liked the wig party. I like Todd in the pink wig. <laughs> but I love that in the like when the Togo party, like Todd's like standing there like mm-hmm. thinking I'm like a cabana boy. Like <laughs> <laughs> so, I feel like we should have been scripted. feeling feeding. what was that? I, I don't I don't think that was scripted. I think we we just kept sticking Adam in where we could. 
I've heard that he ad libs a decent amount. <laughs> it's so funny too. And then you end up not getting teams too long. And, uh, yeah. I hope that like at the end of the series, they just release like a, like a cut of all of like Adam's crazy <laughs> moments that have been cut from the show because of time. An Adam supercut, a Todd supercut. Um, my favorite, uh, my favorite ad lib from him was at the end when we were in the penthouse and he's like knocking the door and he comes in and he's like looking around. He's like, he walked in, he looked, he's like, oh, this is nice. Oh, there's an upstairs. Oh, it wasn't in there. Oh, <laughs> it's just that, oh, there's an upstairs that um, was very funny. I was very sad to not be able to use it. His favorite, my favorite ad lib of his is probably still definitely... Hi, Dad, and then, like, freaks out about it. Yes! Oh, my God. Well, because that spawned your entire theory, right? I don't know if it spawned it, but it definitely, like, kicked it in the right direction. <laughs> all right. Well, so we have a couple questions, fashion questions for you all. Um, Keegan, first, Lipson's style is really unique. It's, like, high fashion, but in a really different way than, say, Margot's wardrobe. Is high mm-hmm. fashion, and you mentioned earlier that you sort of that you thought of her as being from a different time. So yeah, can you talk about that? Like, what time do you think she's from? How would you describe her style? Um, I think she's. I, I guess I would say retro, um, and I think that's evolved over the course of time. Uh, it's funny because one of the things I lament about now, I've kind of been going blonde over the course of this last while. It's just been something I've been doing. And I, the one thing I don't like about it is that I don't think it works as well with Lipson's style, um, mm-hmm. as, as my dark hair did, uh, because you know, that whole roller set and that very retro time women's, yeah. you know, the kind of hair I have now is very modern and as opposed to the way it was in, in those days. Um, but I just, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think it was just something that came to me. I always make up backstory. It's just the way I work as an actor. Script analysis is a big part of the way I work uh, in general and will be how I work as a director and how I work as a writer and everything else. Mm. Um, and so it just sort of made sense to me. And then when that scene had come up where she was jumping off the building, that's just where I went. I thought, imagine if, remember like uh, Entangled with the crone and if she didn't, brush the hair or whatever it was, then she would turn back into the old, horrible, you know, mother golem. Oh, yeah. t- and I sort of imagined that when, when magic goes, that's what was going to happen to her. And that's why she was so upset about things. And it was sort of through, it must've come slightly before that. I think I had thought that prior, but it made, it really sort of coalesced in that moment for me. Well, I'm going to spin a story about her hair that I just thought of on the fly that maybe will make you feel better about it. Cause I like the idea that as that like maybe she's becoming more integrated after having that like really horrible moment where she felt like where she felt like she was at rock bottom and did try to kill herself maybe now she's like starting to understand that this is her home and especially like having her ambitions um some of her ambition finally realized Mm -hmm. she can take on some more modern elements with her hair color i like it i'm gonna i like it you know pretend it's real Maybe with her Dean salary uh, upgrade. She can get highlights. <laughs> she got some highlights. <laughs> um, so we asked this of everyone that we have on, and we'll, we'll start with you, Hillary, and then move to you, Keegan. Um, if you could steal anyone's wardrobe from the show, whose would it be? Ooh. Uh, so Okay. So I love uh, Julia's wardrobe. 
that's like my, my dream. Like if I knew how to dress myself, uh, which I don't, um, especially her jewelry. I fucking love her jewelry. Um, and then occasionally some of uh, Katie's blazers because I love a good, like, masculine blazer. I've been lusting after Julia's wardrobe since day one. Oh, you my have. God. You actually haven't mentioned any of it this season, which has been a shock to me. Katie. I know. It's it's because, I mean, it's not really her normal style. And I just know it's absolutely because, you know, Stella was pregnant. They had to hide it. Um, so it's just like it hasn't been something I've mentioned as much. But. She always looks good. Her hair always looks good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Keegan, what about you? Whose wardrobe would you steal? I mean, I think Margot has rad style. Um, but also Lipson. Like, I would steal Lipson stuff. <laughs> it's pretty great. I really liked her uh, her skirt ensemble in this episode. In, the, in, in five, yeah. Yes, in five. Sorry. I'm used to only talking about one episode. I just yes, can't keep doing sure. the switching. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I love a lot of the wares. It's it's very, you know, it's not a, a style that you see on TV a lot, right? You don't see this kind of retro look, and it just happens to be something that I think works for me. And, um, yeah, so I, I'd steal a combination of those two, I think. Nice. All right. So it's it's time for a double episode MVP. Um, and I, uh, I'll start us off, but I actually found it really hard to give an MVP for 505 because it's such an ensemble episode. And basically for that reason, I decided that I was going to give it, um, to somebody we haven't even talked about yet. Somebody who is not a regular on the show in any way, um, in part because I think we don't do that enough. And for an ensemble episode, it seems like the right time to highlight somebody. So I'm going to give it to Erica Piccanini, who played the lunatic that Alice and Julia talked to at the beginning, because I thought she was hilarious her performance was like just shy of over the top which is perfect and mm-hmm. yeah like I said I don't think we give MVPs to guest stars enough so I'm, I'm given my 505 MVP to her and then for 506 nice. I think on the actor side the obvious choice is Hale but because I've given him the MVP twice already this season I'm gonna go <laughs> with a less obvious choice so I'm, I'm gonna split it between Trevor and Hillary and I'm gonna give it to them for similar reasons Josh gets played as comic relief so often, and Trevor is good at giving that to us, but I love that he got to be so serious in this episode and really show his, like, emotional and vulnerable side. Mm-hmm. And even more in some of the episodes last season with Josh and Margot, I feel like we really saw how empathetic he is and how he's there for his friends when they need him, even though most of them mostly ignore him the rest of the time. Um, so I love how Trevor played him, and I also love that you wrote him that way, Hillary. So we actually got to see more of that part of him. Oh, I'm, I'm really glad that you liked that. It was that. So Josh is the character that I most identify with, Aww. and find easiest to understand. Um, I think I love that we're doing more with him this season, and Trevor is obviously so lovely. Um, but I, I think it's really interesting how his nurturing nature is also a little bit of a defense mechanism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I completely uh, empathize with that. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was really, it was really fun to take those two characters and kind of give, like you, one of you said earlier, it was sort of showing Elliot, like what Margot sees in him. Mm. Um, yeah. And to do that in a way that wasn't, it was more subtextual, uh, you know, just making a case for why Josh is awesome. It was really nice. <laughs> Josh is awesome. <laughs> so, Danny, what about you? Who's your MVP? So, uh, funnily enough, I actually, for this one, it was hard to choose uh, for 505, but I actually gave a tie between Stella and Trevor. 
um, because of their amazing comedic timing in this episode. Like they nailed it so hard. Um, so I, I went with that. Also, like sleep deprived Julia is an absolute <laughs> fucking mood. <laughs> uh, I felt her that entire episode. But then for five oh six, I was gonna split it between Hale and Spencer. If that's his name, right, Spencer? <laughs> yeah. yeah, Spencer yes. Daniels. Yes, yeah, Spencer Daniels, who we actually tried to get on, but we're gonna we're gonna get him on later because. We're going to do an imaginary friends episode. It's going to be great. <laughs> I love yes. that. Um, but yeah, so I, I liked that dynamic between the two of them. Like, I think they played it really well. Yeah, they did. And I really, uh, I thought it was really funny that they brought back um, something from last season where he like couldn't figure out how to say fuck. <laughs> yeah. Remember that? Mm-hmm. But like, he, he finally got it right. He finally got it right. <laughs> sure did. <laughs> The, the, his use of fuck was highly debated as to how to how to really you know uh, complete that arc from the previous season. <laughs> it was so funny. He's like calling out Elliot on all of his bullshit. Uh huh. He's like, I've been in your head this entire time. I also love that he's like becoming a total backseat driver for Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> it's Elliot literally his that. conscious. <laughs> yeah. He does. He does. He needs uh, an objective observer. (laughs) So Keegan and Hillary, we often ask people to give MVPs when they're on, and they always kind of like hem and haw and then feel awkward about it. So instead, since the Oscars are going down, like, I think they're still happening, uh, but definitely tonight, and a lot of wonderful, talented women were left out of the nominations, I thought we might do something different and ask you which female director you would have given the Oscar to this year. So, Keegan, do you want to go first? Unfortunately, this year I'm behind on my watching, so I, I haven't seen a lot of the films that people felt were snubbed. Um, and obviously, look, if you've best directors all through the last, say, 20 years, and there's one pink square here and one pink square there, uh, that just tells you everything you need to know. Look, there are a lot of talented women directors out there, and a lot of them are up and coming because we haven't had the chance to direct by and large, and I can attest to that throughout my career. So uh, in general, I think it's it, it's a miss all the way around. But my guess is, from the buzz I've heard, that Greta Gerwig's film, I'm saving it to watch with my daughters because we read that book already. We read it while we were living in France. It has a great memory for us. And so uh, I'm getting there. I'm sorry I didn't have a better <laughs> answer for that. That's fine. Hillary, do you want to chime in? Oh, my goodness. So uh, I'm a terrible person to ask this question because I don't keep up with that with like the Oscars and stuff like that um and that like I'm just thinking about the women who uh were sort of snubbed this year and I've only seen little women um I haven't seen so I'm I'm half Asian um and you know there's always a lot of like uh feelings about that Um, when it comes to your family. And so I I haven't watched The Farewell yet because I haven't been ready to cry. (laughs) Um, But I know it's going to be really wonderful. So I I feel like the fact that I've only seen um, one of them feels like I'm not qualified uh, because I'm not going to just, you know, I'm not just going to hand one out. Um, I think that we deserve better than that. Um, So I'm sorry that that's not as good of an answer to your question as you were hoping for. It's okay. I went for a weird question, it's, but I do like, I like what you both said about like, I mean, I, I, I like hearing you talk about the movies you're excited to see um, as well. So I think that's plenty good answer. 
Yeah, I'm excited to see the farewell as well. Um, I love Aquafina. I think she's really got something. So I look forward to seeing that performance. She's amazing. She has so much range. Um, yeah. I, as silly as really it is, excited. she was so great in, in Jumanji. Like those kinds of roles are much more difficult than I think lay people have a, a, a sense of. And uh, I thought the way she inhabited that character was really great. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think this takes us to our final analysis, the sort of thing we've been doing this season is the like what worked and what didn't um in these episodes so first of all i really did love both of these episodes i find heist so fun like i mentioned and uh elliot's growth and the way it gets kind of strung out for us over these two episodes is something that worked really well for me i was a little confused in his conversation with julia in part because she says she doesn't trust him and in the moment it just felt to me like like trust is such an all-encompassing word it felt to me like it wasn't just about her him like bullshitting her about the monster. So I'm, oh. I'm curious to hear more about that, but yeah, I really did enjoy these episodes and the way that they sort of push things together. Um, and I mentioned this already, but I especially loved the scenes with Josh and Elliot and 506 and how Charlton, who is so pushy for so much of 506, just kind of like stands quietly next to Margot to let Elliot know that maybe he should go talk to her. Um, on the what didn't work side, the two main things I would say, because I really these worked very well for me, um, is one that there's just like a lot going on um, in these episodes, and so I honestly found it a little hard to keep track of when I was going back and trying to write the summaries. What? Um, <laughs> but there, I mean, I don't, I don't actually think it's bad. It's just you know you got to grasp for straws sometimes. Um, and the only other thing is that I do feel Katie's storyline is getting a little bit short shrift so far this season um but they're really strong episodes and there were a bunch of other things that i liked that i should like mention really quickly which is like charlton's back we released the fucking kraken and the whales and danny i don't know if you remember this but the very first interview that i did with love the like one that i did on tumblr where i like solicited questions from all the tumblr magicians fans um someone asked him what the whales were getting up to at the bottom of the ocean and he said that he didn't know that like that was a blank spot in his understanding of the world that he'd built um and i really love that now that now we know they're maintaining the sigils to keep the kraken at bay so that was really satisfying danny your turn well i thought the the whales were fucking hilarious um i was curious (laughs) as to who voiced the whales um, it was this. It's sad, uh, but I don't remember. Yeah, um, it was this. Uh, he's does. I think he. I think he does a lot of voice acting. Um, ben Morrison is his name. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. <sighs> um, yeah. He was. He, he was great because it was sort of like, what should the whale sound like? You know. Uh, <laughs> and he came in and did a couple reads for us, and um, it was really perfect. That's good. And then we did like a weird thing where like he we he had we had him deliver the lines, and then we had a bunch of actors come and sort of uh, follow the, his cadence to give it sort of a you know, multiple voice sound. Uh-huh. Um, I kind of thought it would be hilarious if it was uh, Lev making another cameo. <laughs> I thought about that too, but it really didn't sound like his voice. No, I knew it wasn't him, but I thought it would be amazing if it was him. <laughs> but yeah, like I actually didn't have anything that just didn't work for me on either episode. Like there was nothing. Like I thought, you say that every time. (laughs) You make me look bad. (laughs) Each episode was fucking great. Like I was from start to finish just involved, and um, I just like there's so many things. Like there's literally so many things that we didn't even point out. Like 
Oh my god. Penny is so funny when he's sleep deprived. Like he oh, just yeah, like, we didn't even talk about Penny at all. Yeah. Penny and how was he got great. addicted to meth muffins. Yeah. <laughs> not meth muffins. It's not meth, I was gonna say. <laughs> We're going to call them meth, meth muffins forever. Sorry. <laughs> you can call them definitely not meth muffins. Yep. Oh, oh, Danny, you mentioned that. I totally forgot. Um, not Frederick. In not the credits. Frederick. Yeah, <laughs> I said not Frederick. <laughs> Speaking good. of things that we didn't mention that are great, is there's, like a joke in the credits. <laughs> there's too many things. Like, literally, my notes are just full of, like, things that I thought were hilarious. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to say before we wrap? I don't think so. All what right. about you? Oh God, I feel like I feel like I've said so much. I always talk so much in these things. Uh, I loved it. I loved the Groundhog Day episode. And oh well, this is more about me because, of course, why not? Uh, but right before we sat down to record this episode, I actually got a Happy Groundhog's Day card from a friend of mine. <laughs> I love Groundhog's Day, actually, because it happens to be my grandparents' anniversary. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. That is. It also makes me wonder, like, is there anything weird around your grandparents' anniversary? Like, are they living the same year over and over? And or do they (laughs) look for their shadows when they wake up in the morning? And what does that mean? But Well, unfortunately, (laughs) my grandpa passed away. But um, it's okay. Thank you. Um, It's... I don't know. I think they just, like, wanted a unique day. Like, people don't really get married in the winter very often, and I think they wanted it to be, like, unique because they're very unique together when they were together. Well, so, on that Groundhog's Day note, I think it takes us to the end of this episode. Keegan, Hillary, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us. And, of course, thanks to our listeners for, you know, listening. If you like the podcast, head over to iTunes, leave us your rating and review. Uh, The more reviews we get, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. You know the deal. That's it. Bye from all of us. Bye. Mind slide. Pure shit flakes. Duh. Todd.